Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. If you were around last Christmas season, last Advent season, we partnered with African New Life to help provide meals. And through the generosity that was provided through you, this, this community, you provided 30,000 meals. 30,000 meals to, to help support the ministry there. Let's give God a hand through you. And so uh, you are able to provide for this ministry. But another thing maybe we haven't celebrated enough is that we also sponsored within this community, we sponsored 21 kids. So within this, yes, yeah, look at that. And so uh, 21 kids now through Africa New Life are receiving medical care, their education. They get to go on to a week at a camp uh, in the summertime, and, and they just get to get loved on. It's a holistic care ministry. And so we've developed a friendship with Africa New Life through this. And this just reminds us that what we do in our giving matters. Like what we do in our worship and our giving, it matters. And today I think will be a reminder of that. Um, Pastor Charles uh, founded Africa New Life how many years ago? 17 years ago. And uh, so Pastor Charles uh, is going to come and share. Why don't you come on up here, Pastor Charles? And we thought this would be the, the best way to, for us to finish this series on living, living a better story. As we talked about last week, we talked about how Jesus is the hero of the story. And Easter, this reminder of the resurrection, is, gives us resolution that death and sorrow won't have the final say. Uh, but as you know in the way stories go, there's, there's the unfolding of that resolution called the epilogue. And we are living in that chapter of the story. And so our lives are able to, to meet Jesus, what Jesus wants to do in this world. And this story is not done being written because God wants to use our lives for that. And so Pastor Charles is going to share how we finished living a better story. Will you do me a, a huge favor by welcoming Pastor Charles? Thank you. Uh, thank you, church, for the welcome here at the Vine. First of all, I love your name, the Vine. It's a beautiful name. Uh, I came with my wife, Florence. You want to stand up? Uh, and Nella, uh, my assistant, she's over there. And Angie, who was worshiping with us, uh, leading us in worship with your team today. She's a worship leader at New Life Bible Church. I want to start by praying, and then we can continue. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here, the welcome in this place. Father, I want to thank you for the partnership between the Vine and African New Life Ministries all the way to Rwanda. This morning, Lord, as I bring your word and continue to tell your story, of all the great things you do, I ask you to give me the grace, to give me the clarity, and to bring forth your message through the power of your spirit to your children. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Again, I want to say thank you very much for the 30,000 uh, meals. That is really beautiful, and you get to hear more about that in my sermon. Um, African New Life Ministries started in the year 2001. Uh, my, my wife and myself, we came to America to go to school in Portland, Oregon, uh, just after the genocide in Rwanda. 
Um, some of you who remember what happened in Rwanda in 1994, we nearly, we lost in nearly a million people in just 90 days in a country of 7 million at that time. So over 10%. In that environment, we came to, we came to America to go to school. And while we're here in America, we clearly had God call us to go back to Rwanda, to our own people, and use all the learning and the skills and the relationships we had the Andy here to help build our nation. And I remember the first time we returned after, while we were school here in the U.S., we, it was 2001, we arrived home again and found out that not much had changed, that we are scattered kids out there, lives really very hard. And between me and my wife, we started African New Life Ministries by helping 29 children. And out of those 29 children, we developed a child sponsorship program in, my, in our seminary apartment in Portland, Oregon, at Mount Noma University. And out of that, in 2003, we returned to Rwanda uh, to plant a church and continue the ministry. Today, 90, over 9,500 children are being sponsored by African New Life Ministries. We've planted, <laughs> we've planted six campuses uh, in the nation of Rwanda. Next year, we are planting the seventh campus. We start the College of Theology, Africa College of Theology. Of recent, we had a little bit of a 300 plus students graduate. And by the first of November, we will open up the first Christian hospital in the nation of Rwanda with a 60 beds. God is amazing. And, and he has done amazing things. That possibly is the summary of our story, because if we started telling the story, we may need to be here for really more days of listening. Uh, but I want to invite you to come to Rwanda, because when you come to Rwanda, you're going to be able to see this story with your own eyes. You're going to see what God has done in different communities of, of our country. How many of you here have been to Rwanda? You've been to Rwanda. Okay, that's beautiful. So the rest of you uh, should be on the way next year coming. Uh, for you who sponsor children, thank you for sponsoring children. We came with more kids to be sponsored, um, and they will be here in the lobby after the service. Today, I want to talk about what I call connecting the two hands of the gospel. And really, connecting the two hands of the gospel is African New Life Ministries. When I was growing up, my dad grew coffee. And we would go in the garden and pick coffee. Now, there are seasons when coffee is ready. And when coffee is ready, coffee on the coffee plantations, it turns into red. And at that time, you have to actually pick your coffee very quickly before it drops on the ground because you're going to lose the beauty and the taste of the seed. So during a busy harvest season, Daddy would say, engage both of your hands. Pick coffee very quickly because if you don't engage both of your hands, you become a lazy harvester. 
So we picked a coffee with our two hands because the harvest was ready. Jesus wants us to be serious, not lazy harvesters because the harvest is ready. This whole idea of uh, connecting the two hands of the gospel, it's actually about doing the gospel and live, uh, teaching the gospel and living out the gospel. In the book of Acts, chapter 1 to verse 8, Luke writes, and Luke's writing here is a continuation in many ways of the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. If you want to underline, you can underline what Jesus began to do and to teach. Both of those uh, to do and to teach is loaded. Possibly to teach is loaded with all the theology you can ever think of. So if you read the, the Gospels and read the theology of Jesus on different subjects, see, he taught about the kingdom of God to come. Everything in terms of his teachings is loaded there. But also to do, Jesus lived out to the Gospel. He did the Gospel. And the Bible says, till the day he was taken to heaven. He was doing and he was teaching. After giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them in 40 days. The, the, the story continues. And then later on, he tells them to stay in Jerusalem till they receive the power of the Holy Spirit to continue the narrative, to continue the story. Obviously, later on, the disciples get into an eschatological a discussion, just like all of us. You know, we just want to know, when is he going to come back? Why, 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 why? Is it going to be three and a half years or seven years? Or is it going to be a thousand years of reigning with Christ? You know, all the eschatological things we can get in. And Jesus says, come on, don't get there right now. I want you to focus on being my witness because you're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit when he comes upon your life. And when he comes upon your life, this is what I want you to do. I want you to continue to teach the gospel, and I want you to continue to live out the gospel in the power of the Spirit. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 to 24, Jesus gives us an example of actually teaching and living out the gospel. The Bible says Jesus went throughout Galilee doing what? He was teaching in their synagogues. He was teaching in their synagogues. He was teaching the word of God. But also synagogues were centers of education. 
Uh, that's where kids would go to get education. That's where people would go to learn about the Torah. The Bible says, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So I would say, teaching in the synagogues and, and the good news of the kingdom, the whole ministry of teaching is teaching the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then part B, healing every disease and sickness. In other words, he is living out to the gospel. Verse 24 says, news went about him, spread all over Syria, and the people brought to him all those who were ill with various diseases, those suffering from pain, demon-possessed, those having seizures, paralyzed, and the Bible says Christ healed them. Christ cared for both the spiritual and the physical needs of those who came to him. He lived out the gospel. He taught the gospel. It, uh, I, I want to call us back to both proclamation and acting compassionately. In the past, most of us within the evangelical churches, we've actually focused on teaching the gospel. I am a preacher and a teacher of the gospel, and that actually excites me. The Bible says that the gospel is the power of God to deliver people from sin and darkness and bring salvation to them. I'm excited about that. I love to do that. I'm a, I was going to say I'm a crusader. I'm not a crusader, but I preach on crusades. Okay? And draw and call upon people to come to Jesus. But after many years of doing these crusades and doing mega campaigns to draw people to Christ, every, after every campaign, we would pack our PA system and go back home and leave all the thousands of kids after the crusade with no food, with no education, with no home. And that really touched my life. And I felt that we need to actually do what we've just preached for these kids. In fact, that's how I ended up staying in Rwanda. I first went to Rwanda to do crusades, to preach the gospel in schools. And then after watching all of what we are doing and leaving out the kids, I felt it was a better thing for me to stay in Rwanda and also take care of the kids. I call it good news and good works blended together, not separated, blended together, not doing one, but doing both together, connecting the two hands of the gospel. In other words, a blend of compassion and proclamation glorifies our God. It becomes a beacon of hope and makes the light shiny before others. In fact, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus said, even so, let your light shine before men. Even so, let your light shine before men. How does it light? Light that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Think through that again. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. In other words, let them see the gospel. Let the gospel be seen. I love to talk the gospel, but I think I win more people by living out the gospel. 
Let them see. Did you ever know that good works by a church, by Christian people, by God's people, actually lead people to worship? Because the Bible says, let them see your good works and do what? And glorify your Father in heaven. And respond in worship to your Father in heaven. In fact, John the Baptist was in prison. And when he was in prison, he actually wanted to know that the true preacher in the city was, was Jesus. And he sent out his disciples to go check on this man, to find out whether he's really the right guy. And listen to how Jesus responded. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 4 to 5, Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and what you have seen. Okay? People see the gospel through what we do. And Jesus said, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And the good news is being preached. A combination of acting compassionately and proclaiming the gospel is truly the good news the world needs to hear today from our churches. You know, the world is looking for a church that is caring in the middle of a storm, a church that is caring in the middle of a flood like in Houston, a church that is caring, not a church that closes its doors to those who are in pain and trouble and poverty and distress, but a church that has an open door policy, in other words, to reach out to, to those who are distressed. That is the true church. That is the real church. That is the story of Jesus. That's what Jesus did for the, for, the, for, for the apostles and for the disciples and for Galilee and for Syria and for all those areas around him. Otherwise, I want to say the gospel is halfway preached. Halfway preached. Single-handedly preached unless our words and our works are combined. And they want to combine the two. And I think James uh, teaches very well about this whole idea of living out to our faith. I really believe that God is raising up a new generation. I am part of that generation. When I start the preaching the gospel and living out the gospel by helping children go to school, by uh, building orphanages, by educating the next generation. I remember a number of my friends said, no, churches don't do that. It's the government that builds schools. It's not the church to build schools. It's, uh, some people would even say it's some humanitarian organizations that feed the hungry. I would say, no, the church should 
to feed the hungry. Those guys are taking away what belongs to us because everything we do should be done to the glory and the honor of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, God is raising up a new generation of theologians who can engage the world with the truth, but at the same time, theologians that are compassionate. They're not devoted. They're not dry theologians. They are living, practical, human, compassionate theologian. I really believe that Jesus was a real, compassionate, good, sound theologian with a soft heart for those who are lost, for those who are poor, for those who are going through painful experiences in their lives, for those who are marginalized in our society. And these marginalized people in our society come to us in different forms. In our context, they come to us as refugees. You know, we got some Burundian refugees who came to Rwanda. And I, I was really broken by these Burundian younger people, refugees. And I decided to raise money and send them to our school in Kayonza. We have a ton of refugees from Burundi. And African New Life is giving them an education. They come to us as orphans. They come to us as dysfunctional families that have generations of bondages. And the best place for them to be delivered is right here in the house of God. And that's what Jesus Christ did. He demonstrated the kingdom of God in two ways. And out of those two ways, Jesus provided a pattern for us to do and to teach the gospel. He taught the gospel. Jesus taught the gospel. He taught the gospel. He, and number two, he acted out compassionately. It's that simple. It's that simple. It's the great commandment and at the same time the great commission put together. The great commandment and the great commission, you bring those together, you summarize the gospel. It's that simple. Otherwise, he calls us to live out the great commandment. And he calls us to live out to the great commission. This is how Jesus lived out to the gospel. He had compassion for the marginalized and the insignificant in the community. Number one, he assisted the poor. Jesus assisted the poor. The Bible says in his first, the Bible says in, Matthew, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is what? Is on me. He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the good year of the Lord, uh, or, or, or to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That was Christ's agenda. That is how he 
opened up his ministry. And he said, my ministry is about assisting the poor. It's about assisting those who are marginalized. It's about reaching out to those who are spiritually poor and physically poor. By the way, some people think poverty is only physical. Poverty is also spiritual. Otherwise, if you don't have Jesus, see, you are spiritually poor. You may have some money in your pocket, but you are spiritually poor. You may have a bank account with 10,000 francs, but you have an empty spiritual banker account. So when I talk about poverty, I'm talking about spiritual emptiness and physical emptiness. And Christ came to reach out to both of those areas of our lives. Again, Christ reached out by, uh, by, by caring for the sick. When you read the ministry of Christ and the Gospels, it seems one-third of Jesus' ministry was about caring for the sick. Wherever he went, he healed people of every sort of diseases and illnesses. He reached out to the sick. That's why I'm so excited about the Dream Medical Hospital that finally the church has an opportunity to reach out to the sick in our community, to the sick in our city. In fact, for me, when I look out, look out at the new hospital we've just built, it's not just about treating the sick, it's healthy evangelism. It's the best place for them every day to hear the good news. While they are in their pain, they need to hear some good news in the middle of their pain. There's no better place to get their attention than in that place. And Jesus got so much attention for those who were sick and came to him and heard him the gospel. He fed the hungry himself. Jesus, several times, he fed the hungry. He took care of them. Jesus himself cared for those who were in need of food. He fed crowds of 4,000 in Mark chapter 80. He also fed 5,000 in Luke chapter 6. Sometimes we think he fed them once. He fed them several times. It's like Jesus had a feeding ministry. But at the same time, he was preaching the good news of the kingdom. He combined the two. He lived, he told the gospel, he lived out the gospel. He was a smart, systematic theologian, maybe Old Testament theologian, but at the same time, he was acting out compassionately to those who are being marginalized and going through pain. He commanded us to love our neighbor. Okay, he reached out. When asked to define neighbor, Jesus expanded the traditional meaning of the word, defining our neighbor as anyone who is in need. Anyone who is in need is our neighbor, including the social outcasts. 
said, those are your neighbors. Who is your neighbor? Your neighbor is not someone on the same zip code with you. Your neighbor, according to the definition of Jesus, may be someone on a different zip code in your city. And that is your neighbor. Or your neighbor may be someone who doesn't have zip codes. In Rwanda, we have no zip codes. So if they ever ask you to write a zip code for Rwanda, you write zero, 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 zero. Five zeros represent our zip codes because we don't have zip codes. So your neighbor may be someone on a different zip code defined as someone who is needy. That's why Jesus said, but when you give a banquet, invite the what? The poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And the Bible says, you shall be blessed. My friends, that's what it means to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus will completely transform your life. If you truly want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you may have so many things to surrender and so many changes to be done in your own life to be truly a follower of Jesus. It actually costs us a lot. I come from the Tusi tribe of Rwanda that was killed in the genocide, and I have to serve the Hutu people of Rwanda, so many of them who may be coming from a different ethnic background. Why? They are my neighbor. The one who is needed is my neighbor. That's what Jesus says. He commands us to love our neighbor. That is the cost of discipleship. That is the cost of Christianity. That is the cost of following Jesus. That's how we show the world that we are different and we are truly followers of Christ. Number five, he educated children. Jesus educated children. Someone will say, but pastor, you're overstretching it. How did Jesus educate children? This is what Jesus did. Jesus said, let the little one come to me, for the kingdom belongs to them. He said, let the little one come to me. I can't imagine the little one is coming to Jesus and going away from Jesus without hearing the good news of the kingdom of God. I sometimes say if Jesus was living in my city, Kigali, he would have a school in one of the neighborhoods of Kigali to provide education for the children. Christ-centered education for the children. Number six, he advocated for the abused. In other words, Jesus had his own international justice mission, if you've heard of one. Jesus is depicted as repeatedly reaching out to those that are, that are those at the bottom of the social pyramid, the poor women, the Samaritans, the lepers, the children, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. Jesus reached out to people who were different from him. And sometimes I come to my church at New Life, 
And I normally tell some of these people, you guys, are you ready for what Jesus is going to do? What if someone walks up into this church with blue hair? What are you going to do? If someone walks in here and he has green hair, what are you going to do? You kind of like stretch it for them. You know, you know, Jesus reached out to everybody. Jesus was eager to accept people who were well-placed in society, but he also made it clear to all that regardless of your societal position, you need to repent. You need the gospel. For this reason... He invited the rich younger man to sell all his positions, possessions and give either proceeds to the poor. That was a big stretch as he reached out to, to him. Jesus was both theologically sound and practically sound, grounded. His ministry is the true expression of the kingdom of God here on earth. What Jesus did, he expects us to continue where he stopped. Just like Luke said, and he said, this is what he did, and this is what he taught. He calls us to go on and continue the narrative of the gospel, and the narrative of the gospel is about the great commandment and the great commission, put together at the same time and not separated. It's simple like that, but it has so much impact on the people we serve and reach out to. And I want to thank you once again for the opportunity to bring the gospel here and to share African New Life Ministries and how we are living out the two hands of the gospel and invite you to come and live out the two hands of the gospel in Rwanda, in right here in your Jerusalem, in your Judea. I don't know where Judea is. Maybe your Judea is Houston. I don't know. Or in Samaria, wherever God calls you to go. And God will use us in big ways to actually transform the world and redeem it. Because there is no other way to redeem this world. The church has whatever it takes to redeem this broken world. I don't know you guys here in Austin, but right in Kigali, we live in the middle of a broken world. And the church is the soul, the light, the theology, the practice that can actually redeem this broken world. And Christ calls us to that awakening of living out the gospel. Good news and good works at the same time. Great commission and great commandment blended together all to the glory of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we come before you. We thank you for Jesus Christ, for he provided a pattern for us to continue the narrative of the gospel, to continue the book of Acts, for the things you began to do and to teach. Father, I pray that you help us to be doers of the gospel and teachers of the gospel at the same time, to live out a theology that is sound, but a practice that gives glory to you. 
Once again, I thank you for the vine. And God, I pray in Jesus' name that this will continue to be the true vine, to the glory and the honor of your holy name, I ask you. Amen.
so calm. We sing hallelujah. 